Thank you, everybody, for joining. I really appreciate it. I want to once again thank our friend Ari Hartman for opening up his beautiful home once again to host the Shir due to see him happening in the shul. It's already becoming a chazok. I think it's our third time here. And Ari is someone who does chesed begufay. He's always involved with helping out in the shul, schlepping and, and cleaning and carrying. And he's also doing chesed by opening up his home to host this year. We really appreciate it. And Amrit Hashem, you and your wife should always share many, many simchas in this home. Thank you everybody for coming. And thank you to anybody who's listening on Zoom or listening to the podcast. Always very much appreciated this week. I'm a little bit under the weather, but I did not want to miss one of the great highlights of the week for myself. And I hope for everybody else, which is this year. So here we are, Parshas Titzave, the Parsha that talks about the Big Day Kehuna after we read last week about the Kalim of the Mishkan. So this week the Torah talks about the uh, Big Day Kehuna, the, the, the special clothing that the Kehanim wear. But the Parsha starts off actually with the mitzvah of the Shemin Zayis that's lit for the Menorah. And even before we get into that, there's a famous question from the Balaturim and others. Uh, Maisha Rabbeinu's name is not mentioned in this Parsha. The only place in Chumash Mois that Maisha Rabbeinu's name isn't mentioned. Really, one of the only Parshas in the Torah, the only other places that we find uh, Parshas where his, his name isn't mentioned is in Chumash Devarim. Now, Chumash Devarim, of course, is Mishnah Torah. It's Maisha Rabbeinu speaking himself. So there it's more understandable why his name won't always be there. Because it's not... Uh, it's a narrative. It's not the Rebbeinu Shalolim necessarily uh, speaking to him, but Meishar Rebbeinu telling the narrative of what happened. So there we can understand why Meishar Rebbeinu's name is missing. But here in Chumash Mais, discussing the Kamas Mishkan and, and everything that goes along with it, why is it that Meishar Rebbeinu's name isn't mentioned? So it says the Balaturim, because we're going to read about it next, next week's parsha that Meishar Rebbeinu by the Chaytu Egel he says to the Rebbeinu Shalolim, I want you right. I want you to forgive Klai Yisrael Shemalechem Shmuli. Forgive Klai Yisrael Vimayin, like Shlomo said, Mechena Mesifer Chashek Asafta. Now, of course, the Rebbeinu Nishlaim listened, and he did. He did. Be Michael. He was Michael Klai Yisrael, but at the same time, it says that Kilalas Chacham Afilu Al Tenai Ba. In other words, Chacham Chacham. A tzaddik says something. So even if he said it on a tznai, like Meishar Rabbeinu, he said, "Im ayin mecheinam esifrecha." Rabbeinu Shlomo, if you're not going to be meichel me, then I want you to be my, to be meichel me. But still, since it was a kilas chacham, since it was so to speak a curse, so there was somewhat of a chalais to that curse, and it had to happen in a certain way. So the Rabbeinu Shlomo waited the entire cycle of the Torah till the final parsha before the Chaita Egel parsha Titzave, and that's where Meishar Rabbeinu's name isn't mentioned. But there's another interesting Torah that the Vilna Gaon says. Zion other always or almost always falls out in the week of Parshas Titzave. The Yartzad of Meishu Rabbeinu. So the Torah is already hinting here that there's going to come a time that Meishu Rabbeinu is not going to be there after his after 120. So therefore, in this Parsha, which usually falls out around around the time of Meishu Rabbeinu's Yartzad, Meishu Rabbeinu's name isn't mentioned. So be it as it may. So in a leap year, we, we, the Yotzer is observed in Adar Shani. So we, but, but still, the, uh, the design other itself, yeah, the, the, the date does fall. And uh, actually, 
That's an interesting point, which we're going to talk about a little bit, about the concept of a leap year, of the Ibra year. So we see here that there are certain hidden things in the Parsha, in this Parsha, that we don't necessarily see, but hidden things that are Merumas in the Psukim, or that are Merumas from the fact, the Merumas in between the lines. The Parsha, as we said, starts off with the Rebbeinu Shalom telling Moshe Rabbeinu, that Klai Yisrael has to bring Shemen for the Menorah. And the first question that comes to mind is, why is that appearing here in the Parsha? Last week we said, Parsha's Truma talks about the Klai Mishkan, the Menorah, among other stuff. This Parsha talks about the Big Kihuna. The why punct here in the middle, smack between the, the, the Klai Mishkan and the Big Kihuna, does the Torah bring down the uh, Inyan, Inyan, of the Shemen Zayis Zach that you're supposed to bring for the Menorah. What's the connection? Why is it mentioned over here? It should seemingly go together with the Sivoy of making the Menorah, which was in last week's podcast. We see from here that really there's a certain remus that the Torah is telling us that the oil of the Menorah has its own standing. It's not only the fact that the manure, the oil goes with the manure, but the shaman zayas is its own thing, independent of the manure itself. Now, how do we understand that? So, in essence, what the Torah is telling us is that shaman zayas has its own ideas, its own uh, Muslim that we can learn from. Let's take a look at some of the things we can learn from the shaman zayas. And before we get into that, so, uh, as Chaim mentioned, we're holding an Ibayar, and how do we understand this whole idea of, of having two months, an extra month of the year? It always falls out, of course, in Chodesh Adar, that there's two others. What exactly is the meaning of this? So, we know that there's two fruit that are mentioned in the Shiva Saminim. Actually, there's more than two. But two of the fruit that are mentioned in the Shiva Saminim are unique that they have, besides the actual fruit, but they produce another thing which has its own chashivas. And of course, I'm talking about grapes, which produce wine, yayin, and zaysim, uh, olives, which produce shaman zayas. So the fruit itself is, is, is nice, but what it produces, to a certain degree, is even nicer. The Gemara Brochus discusses, and the Gemara Brochus says, that's the reason that uh, you don't make ha'ets on wine. <laughs> Alright, if you can please mute your phone, Tzadik Moshe. So, uh, you have grapes. The the wine is uh, makes has its own bracha. You don't make ha'ets on the wine. Why? Because the grapes have its own chashivas. Uh, the grapes, excuse me, the wine is, has its own chashivas. It's, it's a... It's a uh, it's a new thing that's created when you squeeze the grapes, and you're creating actually something that's even more chashev than the grapes themselves. And so wine gets its own bracha. And the Gemara has, a, has asked, why is it that we don't make a bracha, a special bracha on the Shem and Zayis as well? Because Shem and Zayis is even more chashev than the Zayis itself. And the Gemara uh, explains that, that, that it doesn't have the properties that, that give it its own bracha because you cannot uh, sustain yourself from... Eating just just drinking or eating shemen zayis, you know, so it doesn't have the properties yeah. that 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 it keeps. Is it, is it edible? I mean, could you have? 
Well, technically, you can have really enough from it. I mean, by itself. Well, the Gemara, the, Gemara, the Gemara gets into that. The Gemara discusses that, you know, how, how exactly can you use Shem and Zayis for Achila. The Gemara says, but that's the reason that it doesn't get its own bracha. But, but as far as the Hashivas of Shem and Zayis is concerned, so yeah, it, it's a very hush of a thing. That the Zayis produces, it creates something even greater than itself, something that's hidden inside of it. And that's the Shem. And we know today that olive oil is a very, very healthy food. Uh, and the doctors recommend using olive oil. Instead of regular oil, because it has in it very, very uh, healthy properties, which can give a person the nutrients that he needs in a healthy way. So if you're making a salad, instead of putting uh, canola oil or what, what not, vegetable oil, you put an olive oil, even though it maybe does not have the, that, that, uh, you know, the, the best taste in the world. But definitely it's a very healthy thing. So Zayas, Shem and Zayas has its extra special thing. And of course, we see here by the Menorah that the Shemen Zayis is used not for eating, it's used to light up, it's used to create light. And that's how, of course, in the olden days, that's how they would create light, by using Shemen Zayis. So, inside of this olive, there's a special uniqueness that's created, a special thing that it could light up. And there's a Gavaldiga Medrash, a beautiful Medrash, that says, the Pasuk tells us, V'atat Etzavaz Bnei Yisrael, that the light of the Menorah is a Ner Tamid, it's a light that's always going to exist. Now what, is that? what exactly does that mean? It's always going to exist. The Medrash says, when Aaron HaKoyim saw that all the Nesim brought their Karbonis, when the, base, when, the, when the Mishkan was consecrated by the Chanukah Samizbeach, and Shevet Levi, in Aaron himself, they didn't bring a carbon. So says the says the says the says the Chazal. He felt bad. Like why why was Shevet Levi and why was Aaron Akoyin himself left out of it? The Rebbeinu Shalom says to him, "No, don't worry about it. Actually, your chelik is even greater." You know why? A carbonus they're only limited. As long as there's a Mishkan or a Beis Hamikdash, you could bring Karbonis. But the Neiris, the Neiris of the Menorah, they're going to last forever. And of course, we have to understand how in the world do the lights of the Menorah last forever. If there's a Beis Hamikdash and there's a Menorah, you light it. If there isn't, then you don't. Oh, Shalom Aleichem, I want to welcome my brother-in-law, Maishi Sinitsky, visiting all the way from England. Thank you so much for coming. Special pleasure. Okay, he's comfortable over there. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot to tell you that the shear is not in the shul. You went there? I was enjoying it. Yes. Yes, that's the MDY. MDY. Yeah, MDY CM. Okay, Maldick. Okay, beautiful. Oh, okay. So. He's like, wow. When nobody gives a shit, eh? Yeah. All the way from Manchester, England. Thank you for coming, Maishi. So, we're asking a question. The, the Medr says that as long as there's a Menorah, uh, that the Karbonis only lasts as long as there's a Beis HaMikdash. But the Neiris of the Menorah, they last forever. How is that possible if there's no Beis HaMikdash? Where exactly are the Neiris of the Menorah? So, we know, we know throughout history there were always rumors that hidden deep inside the Vatican uh, is the Menorah. When, when, Rome, uh, when, when they went to Rome, so we know they took the Menorah with them, and Rome eventually became Italy, and it became the Vatican. 
So somewhere, people, there were rumors for all the years that somewhere hidden inside is the, uh, is the Menaira. So I, I saw a letter that somebody sent to uh, one of the head of the archives in the, in the Vatican, and he says, can you please tell us where the Menaira is in the Vatican? So the guy wrote back, he says, you know, I'd love to know that myself. If you think the Menaira is in the Vatican, please show it to me, tell me where it is. And historians say that really, that concept that the Menaira is hidden in the Vatican is a myth. Because it's not possible. But that there is claim English there, many. Or that's also a myth? That's a myth, yeah. yeah. Oh. It, it, because um, you have to understand that, that these Kalim were brought there 2,000 years ago. Now, how in the world would something be lasting there for 2,000 years? There were many different regimes that were there, and the buildings were pillaged, and there were floods and everything. So there's out no possibility in the world that something would be lasting in the, in the bowels of a building for 2,000 years. It's, it's simply not, 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 not Shaykh. It didn't happen. And, and, and there's really absolutely zero historical evidence that... The clay amigdash are hidden in the in the in the Vatican. But Al Kaponim, wherever the Menaira is, it's not being used today. So what is the Medrash telling us that the light of the Menaira is going to be lasting forever? There's another Medrash that says there's a Pasuk, Zayis Ranan He calls Klai Yisrael a Zayis Ranan. Kachbrochu calls us like a Zayis. He calls Klai Yisrael a Zayis. Now what is the uniqueness of a Zayis? So the Medrash goes on to explain that. How do you get oil from the Zayas? You beat it. You hit it. So Claudia Saul too, you know, they're at their best when they get beaten. When, you know, when you go through persecution, when you go through different tsaras, that's when Claudia Saul does tshuva, and they come close to the Rebbeinah Shalom. But we see here really that the Medrash is alluding to the fact that inside the Zayas, there's hiding a secret, like we said before, the secret of the Shem and Zayas. It's hiding inside. And that same secret, says Chasei Chazal, says the Medrash, and the Pasuk says, that's Klal Yisrael. Klal Yisrael is like the Zayas, because deep inside of every single Yid is that special hidden qualities, the special Kedusha, the special light of the Shem and Zayas is hiding inside each and every one of us. That greatness, it's not always evident, it's not always visible, we don't always see it, we don't always feel it, but it's there, just like it's there by the Zayas. You squeeze it, you find that Shem and Zayis that's going to light. And in Mela, we can understand now what the Medrash is telling us, that the light of the Menorah lasts forever, even when there's no base Amigdash. We're not talking about the physical Menorah, but we're talking about that which the Menorah presents, the R, the R, the light, the hidden light. That hidden light is there forever, and it exists within each and every one of us. Every single Yid has hidden within him a special Kedusha, a special light. We don't always see it, but it's always there, just like the Menorah. Mela says the Medrash, the concept of the Menorah, of the hidden light, of the Shem and Zayis, exists forever inside each and every one of Klal Yisrael. We find in the parsha, the Ebeshter tells Moshe Rabbeinu, daber al We're talking about those, um, uh, those craftsmen, the artisans who are going to create the Big Day Kehuna. So the Pasuk says, Moshe Rabbeinu, HaKadosh Baruch says to him, Tadabar al Speak to all the wise people. That I fill them with Ruach Chachma. So one second, are they Chachamim already? Or are they becoming Chachamim now? What does that mean? The Chachme Lev, that I fill them with Chachma. So, Chassam Seifer says, beautifully, <coughs> that Moshe Rabbeinu was going over to the people, and you know what he was telling them? You know what? Speak to the wise people. You know what you should tell them? Tell them that inside of you, the Abishter filled you up with Chachma. That's what you should tell them. Maishar Rabbeinu's job was, so to speak, to bring Klai Yisrael to the awareness of who they were. 
Tell them, you know, you, Ari, Shlomo, Moishi, Shlomo, David, Shmuli, Chaim, Chaim, everybody. You have within you Chachma. You have within you greatness. And that was Moishi Abenu's job, to reveal it to them. And this is something which we can gain a lesson, if we're trying to look at lessons from the Shem and Zayis. This is one of the lessons to remind ourselves that in each son and each every one of us, there's greatness, there's greatness waiting to happen. Uh, I saw in the, uh, the shiurim of Rabbi Miller, so somebody asked him a question at one of his shiurim. He says, you know, how can I hold myself back from despairing that I'm not, when I sit down to learn a blood gemara, so I feel, you know, what's the point? I'm never going to become a god. I'm never going to know shas by heart. So what's the point? So Rabbi Miller says to me, no, that really is what the Eitzah loves to do to a person. He says to you, yeah, what's, what's, the, uh, what's the point? You're not going to become an Adam Godel. So why bother learning? But that exactly is the Eitzah. He says to me, no, here on King's Highway, which was near where he lived, of course, uh, you have many stores. Some of them are busy. Some of them make a lot of money. But he said there's also a guy, he sells peanuts. He has a little stand, a little machine with a, a roaster. And he stands there all day selling peanuts. He's not there anymore, but I guess back then, in the 70s and the 80s, there was such a man. Now Rabbi Miller says, he's standing there every single day, whether it's rain, whether it's shine, whether it's cold, whether it's hot, he's standing there. Now how much does this man make? Think about it. Okay, so, so says Rabbi Miller, and you, and you observe the guy, you see, he's, he's selling there. Now how much is he making? You know, he, he doesn't make much money from selling a, a cup of peanuts. He's making peanuts, literally. So he makes maybe 50 cents a cup, and he's standing there every day. Some days he's going to make $5. Some days he's going to make $7. On a good day he's going to make $10. And the guy understands, you know, this is for me. This is my pronosis. So if he walks home with $5, he's happy. And, you know, I, saw the, I see this myself, actually. I dive in sometimes. I work in Crown Heights. As you know, I dive in sometimes by 770. And there, you have these old Russian ladies. They sit outside. And, you know, it's freezing cold. They're sitting there collecting. Old Russian ladies. Now, what are they, what are they making? You know, once in a while, a person will drop a quarter into their cup. So you imagine a person sitting there for seven, eight hours a day. How much are they making? Maybe they're making $10 a day or maybe $20. For this, you're sitting in the cold? And the answer is yes, yes. If she's walking home with $20, so for her, that's a good day. It's $20. It's, 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 it's something, you know. You could, you could buy some food with it. It's better than nothing. So says Rabbi Miller to this man, who says that you have to know shots to feel good about yourself? If you learn a blood Gemara, that's good. He says, if, even if you learn one line of Gemara, that's an amazing accomplishment. And if you learn two lines, that's an even greater accomplishment. Now, Koshi came today, we have the Dafyaimi. So you're learning a blood a day? Amazing, that's wonderful. And everybody has to appreciate those, those small steps that they do. In the eyes of the Rebbeinah Shalaylam, it's very, very big. And this, too, is something that's hinted here in the Menaira. Chazal asked a question uh, the, uh, on these Psukim. That Klai Yisrael say to the Rebbeinu Shalalim, they say to him, you know, you're telling us, light the menorah, create a light. He says, you Rebbeinu Shalalim, you need a light? You're the one, the, the Ananiya covered, were making light for Klai Yisrael for 40 years in the Midbar. You're telling us to light the small menorah? And the Rebbeinu Shalalim answers them, Amar Kadosh Baruch Hu, Lo Yishani Tzarech La'ar Basar V'dam, Ela Sheteidu Machi Boschem L'fanai. Ayyushta says, you know, I appreciate everything that you do. And this is my way of showing my appreciation. You light the menorah, you show a little bit of light. Amazing. For me, that brings me nachas ruach. That's what I want to say. I want you to say, I want you to feel that I appreciate. That's something everybody can gain chizik from. That the small steps that we do in the eyes of the Rebbeinah Shalom, they're not small at all. They're very big. And every single thing that we do, 
we appreciate it. Right? Yaakov Bender tells over a story which happened to him personally. Uh, he, uh, before he was Manal in, uh, in Darach Yitayra, so he was a Rebbe there. He was a seventh grade Rebbe. And he was telling the kids a story about um, a Rebbe in Yeshiva Taravadas. One of his Rebbe, his name was Rabbi Yosef Levitin. He was a well known Rebbe in Taravadas. He unfortunately was nifted at a very young age. But um, he was a very, very chush of a person, Adam Gadol. And when he was a Bachar, he was a Talmud of Rabbi Shleim Haimana in Taravadas. This was in the 1940s. A few years after his Rebbe was nifter, so he was learning his Ashtukul Gemara in Bava Basra. And he had a very, very difficult kasha that was bothering him. And he went around, he asked the Rebbeim, he asked his chaverim, nobody could give him an answer. And he was very bothered by it. So he went to sleep, like, feeling very down. And, and, and his friends noticed it, that he was down, because he was bothered by a question, I guess, that, you know, was a big part of the sugya. He couldn't figure it out. The next morning, he wakes up, he comes to shul, to Bismedrish, he's all smiles. What's going on? The friends ask him, what's going on? He says, the Rebbe, the Rosh Hashiva, came to me in a dream. And he said to me, Get up, get out of bed, wash Nangalasha, say Bukasatira, and go open up a saver called the Rimigash, which is one of the Rishinim. And he asks your Kasha and he gives you a Tayrus. And if you learn that Tayrus, it'll give you shed light on the entire Sugya. And it says uh, Rabbi Levitin, that's exactly what he did. He woke up. This, in other words, the dream was over. He woke up for real, went down to the base medrash, he opened up the Rimigash, and there was his question with the Tayrus Gavaldik. He was thrilled. So he so he said, and his rebbe was nifter a few years earlier, but he felt, you know, my, my rebbe is still teaching me. All these years later, he's still teaching me. So uh, Rabbi Bender is telling over the story to his class. It was on a, a hot uh, spring day, and he saw that so they they didn't believe him. <laughs> How could such a thing happen? Anyway, he uh, a little bit while later, he's looking into the hallway. He sees there's a fellow that he knew from the neighborhood happened to be visiting the yeshiva. He calls him in. He says, you know, you remember you remember Williamsburg, you remember Tervadas, of course, of course. He he had grown up at the same time. Can you tell us a story about Yerush of Levitin? And this man goes on to say that exact story with the Rimigash. And he concludes, if you go to Yeshiva Tervadas, I don't know if it's still there today, but in Daitza Asfarm, there's a Sefer Rimigash. And over there it says, in the footnotes, on this particular page, this is where my Rebbe of Shleim Hyman came to me. I guess Yerush of Levitin wrote it in the footnotes in the margins over there. But we see really that, that you know, when we have an Asugya, <laughs> sends us his messages to say, I appreciate it, and I'm going to take care of you. And Mimela, that is one important lesson that we learn from the light of the Menaira. The Rebbeinu Shalayim is there with us, and he appreciates everything that we do, and the small things that we do are not small at all. They're very great. And there's one more Nakuda that I wanted to bring out. The Pasuk says, L'halis ner tamid. And Rashi brings down that you have to be madlikit, you light the Menaira in a way that uh, you let go of the fire only when the fire is already standing on its own. That's also the Alocha by nearest Hanukkah as well. You don't just light it, a little flicker, and then leave. No, no, hold on to it until there's a full flame, and then you can let go, because now the flame is standing by itself. And this is something which is uh, true, the Sfarim tell us also, for chenach, for raising our own kids, that when you want to be mashpia on, on, on someone else, especially your own kids, you do it in a way, you mashpia on them in a way that they could be independent on their own. In other words, the ashba, the chenach that we give to our kids should be in such an eifin, such a strong way, that they should be able to stand up on their own after everything that they see from us, everything that they learn from us, and be able to stand on their own as proud Yidin from the warm chinuch that we give them. This is a very important Yisoy, the Chavitz Chaim says a mashal, really a true story that happened with him. He had gone to the mikvah Radin, and he asked the, uh, the caretaker, is the, water, is the water hot? Is the water warm? It was a cold, freezing day. And the man said, yeah, the water's warm. <coughs> I boiled up the, uh, I boiled up the, the hot water, and earlier, and uh, you know, and, and I poured it into the mikvah. 
That's how it was done before they had pipes and everything that heat up the mikvah. So the Chavetz Chaim, his foot touches the mikvah. He, he says, it's freezing. And then they chapped what happened. The man had heated up the, uh, the big, uh, the big um, kettle that, that he pours the water into the mikvah. He did. But then he let it sit. Eventually, the water stopped being hot. It became just warm water. So says the Chavetz Chaim, if you pour hot water into a mikvah, then the mikvah is going to be warm. But if you pour warm water into the mikvah, it's going to stay cold. And that's true, this is the Chavetz Chaim and Chinuch as well. If our Yiddishkeit is hot, it's kaching, we can transmit it to the next generation and they're going to get the varm kite of it. But if our own Yiddishkeit is varm, it's not very hot, then the next generation already is going to be cold. That's a very big foundation, a very big say that we have to remember that our kids pick up on how we act and how we interact and how we learn and how seriously we take our Yiddishkeit and that's how they're going to reflect, that's how they're going to live their life. And that's one nekuda of to infuse them with a gishmak and with a cheshek and ruchnius. But there's another nekuda, and that is to give them the chizuk that they need. Every single kid, every single child is different. And every single kid needs the love and the attention and the chizuk that they should be able to thrive and succeed in everything that they do. And we have to remember that the warmth comes from the parents. And the love that we give them is what's eventually going to build them up to become independent, functioning human beings. And of course, Erlechiyidin as well. It's all depending on the warmth and the love and the time that we give our kids. And I just want to conclude with two stories on this exact idea of showering our kids with love and affection and attention. There's a well-known mashpi, his name is Avi Fishoff. We mentioned him a few times here in the shir. He has a system for kids who unfortunately are off the derech, kids at risk. It's called twisted parenting. These are for kids who gave up everything. They no more, no, no more connection to Yiddishkeit. Unfortunately, a very, very uh, common phenomenon in our communities. And his... Mahalach is, instead of uh, throwing them out of the house, what's that? You have to be in the car with them, exactly. You have to shower them with love. It's called twisted parenting. In other words, going against what you normally would think. And he says to the parents, you know, you've got to gift bomb your kids. You've got to time bomb them. Keep on showering them with gifts. Take them on vacations. Take them places. Keep on doing. And, and I know, I personally know a family where, unfortunately, several of their kids... We're off the derech, and, and they're following this, with this method and really with amazing results that they're able to bring their kids slowly back by showering them with love and attention. And it's actually very expensive because they take them on trips. So whatever it is, you know, they have to fundraise and different stuff. But he says over a beautiful story. There was a young man, you know, that his parents were following this method. And finally, you know, after being addicted to drugs for such a long time, he says, you know what, I want to get treatment. He made an appointment to uh, um, check himself in to a rehab somewhere in New Jersey. So his parents said, okay, we're going to come with you. We're going to be with you. We're not going to, you're not going to be on your own. Excuse me. The day that he was supposed to check in was Simchas Torah. So the parents said, okay, we're going to come with you. We're going to book a hotel nearby, and then we're going to walk with you over to the rehab. You'll check yourself in. We're going to be there for you the entire time as you're getting processed and whatnot. So the boy says to his father, Tati, what do you mean? It's Simchas Torah. It's Simchas Torah. What do you mean? You're not going to dance with the Torah in Shul? So the father says, I will be dancing with the Torah. The Torah is going to be you. You're going to be my Torah that I'll be dancing with in Simchas Torah, which is exactly what happened. He took them. They went, they went right before Yom Tiv, And on Simchas Torah, he danced with his son in the hotel room. And then they went over to the rehab to check in. And since that's really what it, what it means, to give our kids the attention that they need, to make them feel good, whether the kids are in a good position, whether they're not in such a good position. These are the future, and this is the light that we have to give them. And one more story, fascinating story. There's a famous song from maybe Rottenberg called The Man from Vilna. 
about a man who was uh, at a simcha and he met someone else, an old man, and you know, people were complaining. It takes so long and there's so many simchas to go to and the man said, by me, no simcha is difficult. He said, because there was a time when I didn't know if there ever was going to be another simcha in Klai Yisrael. So who was this fellow? Ebi Rottenberg made a song out of it. And a beautiful song where he talks about how he was in Vilna and he saw one child and they danced with him. And that was the cemetery, right? Yeah, exactly. Similar to this story. But there was a lady in Eretz Yisrael, she listened to this song and she wanted to know, like she was somewhat of a historian, she wants to know, you know, what's the real story in the background? So she started doing research. There's a fellow, his name is Leo Goldman, he's not alive anymore. He was a, um, a soldier in the Russian army during World War II. He lost his entire family. And eventually, after the war, he was released from the army, and he came to Vilna. And this is a true story that happened to him, that they came to the shul, and there was nobody there. I mean, there were plenty of Yidin, there were no Sifri Torah. But there was one child there, and they picked up that child, and they danced with him. And Simchas Torah, instead of the Torah, they said, you know, this is our Sefer Torah, because he's the future of Klai Yisrael. So that was the story. And the lady said, okay, so she found out who it happened to, but she was always wondering, who is this kid? Who is this kid? This lady works in Yad Vashem. And one day, Abe Foxman, the founder of the ADL, Anti-Defamation League, he's a, a, a Holocaust survivor himself. He's a from Yid. He's in Yad Vashem giving a talk to teenagers about the Holocaust, about his own experiences. And he says the story, and he says, you should know that after the war, I went to a show on Simchas Torah, and we were dancing there. I was a little kid, and they picked me up. And the lady says, oh, so you're that person. She goes over to him, and she tells him about the song. That he, he, he had no idea about the Journey song that existed, all about him. Make a long story short, Abe Foxman sits down, and he tells over the story exactly as it has unfolded. His parents had given him away to a Christian couple during the years of the war, and they raised him as a Christian. His parents miraculously survived, and they came to get him back. The Christian couple didn't want to give him back, didn't want to give him up. Eventually, they succeeded in getting him. But this young boy, Abe, he was already raised as a Christian. So, you know, he would, he would, uh, he would pray to Yashka, and he wanted to go to church. Simchas Torah, uh, I guess it was Simchas Torah of 1945. So his parents, who he already he was connected to, they said, okay, we're going to go now to Shul. Now, he didn't know what Shul was. He thought it was a church. They said, absolutely, okay, perfect. We're going to go to the church. So they take him to the shul, and that's where this whole story unfolded. Where a bunch of Yidin came. They had no secretary to dance. All of a sudden, they look around, and they see this young child. And they dance with him. And he concludes, Abe Fox, and he says, afterwards, he said to his father, I like this church. I want to continue going. And that's how slowly he came back to Yiddishkeit. He once again connected. And he, the, rest, the rest, as they say, is history. That... And this, this is how the song came about, a true story. And um, he was able to eventually meet up with, with, that, uh, with that soldier. And, you know, they were able to share a very special moment together, reminiscing about all those years ago. But that's the idea that our kids are the future, our kids are Sifri Torah. And the more we give to them, the more they're going to continue the Messiah. They should talk a help. That we should always live a life of a vibrant life of Yiddishkeit, and always bring a Kiddush Hashem in everything that we do.